pray and get started. Lord, let's just really stop and think about what these words mean, what these words represent. We pray that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. That the saints would be equipped, your salvation would be made clear. Help us to go out and live this, Lord. Not just talk about it, but to live it in your name. Amen. Continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. Uh, we finished up 17 last week, got into chapter 18. And here we are in chapter 18 some more. What I want to do here is I want to start with a verse that we've covered before. It's uh, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What you've noticed, and I'm sure I've noticed as well too, as we go through our study here in the book of Proverbs, is this idea of sometimes how verses we keep overlapping with them. We keep building on these different verses. Now, the way I believe is this. 1 Corinthians 3.11 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It says, there's no other foundation that can be laid other than the foundation of Christ Jesus. Just did a wedding yesterday, and the verse I quoted every wedding is that the only foundation of a marriage has to be Christ. And the only foundation of a life has to be Christ. A marriage not built on Christ can't last, and a life not built on Christ can't last. That's why Christ has to be the foundation of all that we do and all that we say. The foundation is the key part of every building. Now, the problem is you just don't see the foundation. You focus on how beautiful the decorations look. You focus on the windows, the lighting, the roof, what have you. But you don't realize you've got to lay the foundation first. No one has ever come into my house. No one has ever come into this church and said, boy... Can I see the foundation? I love concrete. No one has ever said that. It's not exciting, but yet it's vitally important. We have to lay that foundation of Christ. Once that foundation of Christ is laid, we can start to build off of that. And the way we build off of that is by going through Proverbs here and taking these things and practically applying them to our lives. And what you see throughout Proverbs repeatedly is the idea of words and life and death and the power of the tongue. We've covered it a lot. But these are all blocks that are being built off this foundation of Christ. And what you see here in verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. The power of your words that we've covered repeatedly. You can encourage, you can discourage, you can build up, you can tear down. People become what you say they are. They do. Like I said, I did a wedding yesterday and you hear people make these jokes about the ball and chain. Now, that's not a good way to start it out. I'm telling you right now. If you look at your marriage, if you look at your spouse in that type of negative, discouraging way, you may say, oh, we're just joking. I understand. I make jokes about Dawn, but at the same way, too, I'll tell you this. Next to salvation, she's the greatest blessing that God has ever given me. The problem is sometimes we're not making the jokes, and what happens is that's what we start thinking, and that's what it becomes. And we have to be careful with that. I've used this example about one of my boys many times before. My third son, Kenan. I love Kenan. Kenan doesn't have any fear. Now, as I told you before, Kenan will sometimes do things. And I'll stop and say, Kenan, what were you thinking? And the truth was, he wasn't thinking. He just goes. He just does. And there's really not this fear of consequences or what have you. And it really used to kind of sometimes get to me. And I'm thinking, Kenan, why aren't you thinking? And I realized this boy has no fear. God's going to use that. And so I started saying, Kenan, you're going to be a missionary. You have no fear. God says go, you're going to go. Some of my other boys would stop and make a list of pros and cons and pray for 20 years before they would step out in faith. Kenan, God says go, you're just going to go. You have no fear. And so took that. Instead of speaking words of death, started speaking words of life. And now when Kenan does something like that, I just stop and say, boy, Lord, that's your next missionary right there. 
You say, go to Africa, he's going to Africa without even thinking about it. Speaking words of life. This is something that the Lord does. If you remember when we were first introduced to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, Gideon is hiding from the Midianites, and God shows up and says, mighty man of valor. God saw what Gideon was going to become. He spoke words of life. You see this also with Peter in Matthew 16. Peter, who had quite the up and down travel throughout the Gospels, Jesus says, you're a rock, Peter. You're a rock. I'm going to use you as a foundational member of the church in the book of Acts. God saw what these people were going to become. So I want to just keep encouraging you. What does it mean to speak words of life? What does it mean to look at this from the perspective of God, to lay the foundation of Christ Jesus, and then build off of that with our words? And the way we do that is we walk in wisdom. Take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Wisdom. Remember, wisdom is God's way of thinking. God's way of thinking. Not the way of the world, not what you think. It's God's way of thinking. So what does it mean right here to have wise judgment in verse 1? Well, you've got to backtrack a little bit. First thing you see is a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Some of your translations say separate himself. Some of your translations say unfriendly. Meaning this way of keeping himself from everybody. I'm telling you right now, separating yourself from the body of Christ, isolating yourself from the body of Christ, will not bless you or benefit you in any way whatsoever. Isaiah 50 makes it very clear. Woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone. It's a dangerous place to be to do the whole solo island Christian. Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir a little bit on this because you're here with the time change. In the wind. God bless you. But you're going to run into people like this, and you're going to have seasons like this as well, too, where you're going to give up on church. Now, when I say church, I don't mean church, the building. I don't mean Harvest Fellowship. I'm talking about the body of Christ. God has called us to be part of this body of Christ, and the enemy will always want to try to isolate us from it. The enemy will always try to pull us away from the body of Christ. He always will. And when we're in our sin, the last thing we want to do is go to church and be around the body of Christ in small groups and Bible studies. When I'm feeling very laxical in my faith, the last thing I want to do is be around other passionate Christians. It's just the way it is. I want to isolate myself. And guess what happens when you isolate yourself? You start raging against all wise judgment. What is the blessing of being part of the body of Christ? First off, you get accountability. Some of you don't want accountability. Sometimes I don't want accountability. Accountability is someone telling you sometimes that you're wrong. Accountability is also sometimes telling you that you're right. Here's the deal. When you start going to this solo Christian mindset, I've seen people get to some really strange theology. When you don't have accountability, I'm telling you right now, there's some really strange teachings online. You can find a lot of things out there to back up what you think you believe. There's a reason why God has called us to be part of the body of Christ for that accountability. Number two, we need the encouragement. We're called to be a body. There is almost this pride arrogance that I don't need people. I'm not going to let people know my struggles when I'm going through. And Jesus, who we're supposed to be an example of, like, is Jesus asked for prayer for himself. We are called to be the body of Christ right here. And we need that encouragement. And lastly, fellowship. You need the fellowship. Now, please note, fellowship is not entertainment. 
I don't know where those words became that mindset, that fellowship and entertainment. I'm talking about thinking like like-minded biblical people with an eternal perspective, how to handle problems. Sometimes you need to be with other Christians and realize I'm not the strange one. The world is. And therefore, I'm around other people that say, yeah, that, that is wrong, isn't it? Yeah, that is right. Yeah, that is the way to handle it. I want to have this eternal perspective. But here's the problem with fellowship. We've changed what fellowship is. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. It is not my job on a Sunday morning to make sure you're entertained. It's my job to make sure you're equipped. We can't entertain people. We're here to equip them. Number two, for worship. It's not the worship team's job to present to you a concert. It's the worship team's job to say, take a moment here and bring the sacrifice of praise and worship Christ. I see so many people want to worship worship, and they forget that worship's not about them. It's about Jesus and about kids. I see this with kids' ministry. It's not our job to give your kids a Disneyland experience back there. It's our job to give your kids Jesus and maybe a little bit of juice and some crackers, but it's not about that. But you see this mindset that fellowship is what? Church is fun. I was entertained by the message. The worship, I could just sit back and enjoy it. And my kids just had the greatest time ever. Listen, you may be in a spot spiritually where you come to church and it's not fun because you need to be pierced by God's word. You may come to church sometime where it's not fun because you need to be held accountable for things that are going on. That's not trying to be mean. But it's our job to equip It's our job to lead in worship to the glory of God. And it's our job to equip the kids to know more about Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful that we don't turn church into this this experience where everybody just has the greatest time ever. Some of the teachings that Jesus did back in the Gospels are teachings that are not fun to listen to, but are needed to hear. And so what happens is when we do verse 1, isolate ourselves. We're really stymieing any growth that we can have in Christ Jesus. Number two, we start raging against all wise judgment. I notice that people, when they isolate themselves from the body of Christ, they're generally just angry people. They're upset at life. There's no deep love for God's people. There's no deep love for God's way of doing it. They don't want to be around it. And so when that happens is when you bring up any type of truth, they don't want to deal with it. They feel convicted, they feel guilty, they feel shamed, and they just don't want anything to do with Christians, the body of Christ, etc. They're getting their own food at home, they're taking care of themselves, whatever. Isolating is going to cause issues and problems. It is. But we have to stop and realize God has called us to be a body. In fact, before Christ died on the cross, if you go read in the book of John, he has this great chapter of prayer. And the prayer is that, that we could be one One, that we're supposed to come together as one and be this body of Christ. And as we come together as one, that we encourage each other to go deeper in the things of God. Now, the problem is some of us don't want to go deeper. Well, take a look at this. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. This idea of depth, deep waters, water. A lot of times when we want to check the water temperature, we stick our hand in, we feel the first few inches of the water and say, it feels good. Now, we just had a baptism last Sunday, and for those that got baptized, you know what I'm talking about. The first few inches of water felt really good. (laughs) Once you got down past the first few inches, it was a little bit different temperature there of that water. Same thing happens here with life. 
We see each other. We have a very surface relationship with each other. The first few waters look good. Oh, so-and-so, he's a real strong Christian. How do you know? Because for those three minutes I talk to him every Sunday, he's really talking about Jesus. God has asked us for more depth. The problem with depth is this. It's hard to go deeper. It's really easy just to keep the surface relationship looking warm and good. But to go deeper, that deep water is hard. But the Lord is calling us to something more. And to be honest, I think that's what we want. We desire this. We may not be able to put words to it, but we desire something deeper. Because I've noticed that when we just have the surface relationship with Christ, there's something about us that says, I know there's more. Now, now don't, don't pick on me too much for this story. But I'll but tell you what happened. I was not raised in a denominational church. I was raised in a non-denominational church. Then came out here, got saved, and kept going to a non-denominational church. So I forget sometimes about the whole season of Ash Wednesday, Lent. I never grew up with that. So it just has never really registered with me. So this last Wednesday, I was up in Toledo doing a hospital visit at St. V's. Obviously a Catholic hospital. And I couldn't find the room of the person I was trying to visit. And I couldn't find the information desk where I was at. So I saw this lady working in an office. I popped in. I said, hey, listen, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm just looking to uh, find the person. So she looks up at me, and I think, how embarrassing. She's got this smudge right here on her head, and she doesn't even realize what she has on her head. And so as I'm asking her where the room is, I'm thinking, do I tell her that she has something all over her? She must have put her hand. So this is, this is what happens. And so then it took me a couple minutes not making this up. Ash Wednesday. So I looked at her, and I just, by this point, I'm not even thinking. It's just Whatever comes out, comes out. I said, Ash Wednesday. I said, happy Ash Wednesday. And then I said, what are you giving up for Lent? I don't know. Just started talking. I said, Lord, where are you going to go with it? So she goes, I'm not going to eat meat on Fridays, and I'm going to give up sweets. And at this point, I'm like, okay, Lord, where do we go to go deeper? And then on her own, she pauses for a second, and then she looks at me. She goes, but I think there's supposed to be more. I said, I'm thinking in my mind, amen. I said, yeah, there is supposed to be more. So I said, what do you think about this? I said, today is March 6th. I said, why don't you go home, grab your Bible, and read Psalm 6 today. And then for the next 40 days, why don't you read one psalm every day and get into God's word? Because I really do believe God's word does not return void. And I said, I bet you if you get into God's word, it will not return void. And I bet you after 40 days of being in God's word, you're going to have a love for the Lord and a love for his word and a deeper passion for him. She wanted more. And I think there's a desire to wanting more. So why don't we want more? More is difficult. A few weeks ago, Dawn and I were praying, doing some devotions, and Dawn had the audacity to pray this one word. She prayed radical. Lord, help us to live for you radically. I don't know why she did that. (laughs) Do you realize what it's been like since she's prayed for that? The first few inches of the water is warm. Can I just put my feet in it? Can I just rub my hand through it? God's asking me to jump in. And when you jump in, I tell you, living radically, that is a hard thing to do because I don't know if I want the depth, Lord. I'm really just content with the surface relationship with you where I I show up to church and I look good and you're kind of my lifesaver when things are going wrong. And when I really got a bad day, I can kind of read and do something. But I'm really okay with living my life my way and I I am really okay with the surface. Boy, you're missing out. You want depth. You want to grow. 
You want more. Sometimes wanting depth and wanting more means doing things that are difficult and hard. We got this thing at home where the boys need to drink a glass of milk every day. They hate it. Absolutely hate it. We're sitting there at supper and they're drinking their glass of milk that they have and they see me. I'm not drinking a glass of milk. I said, Dad, why don't you drink milk? Because I said, I hate milk. I don't want to drink milk. (laughs) I'm still not trying to grow anymore. I'm the same height I was as a freshman in high school. I am going to be 42 here in a couple weeks. My mom still says I'm going to have a growth spurt. It ain't happening, folks. I'm done. My dad's over six foot. My uncle's over six foot. But I'm taller than the people on my mom's side. This is the genetics I got. There's still hope for my boys. So you're going to drink milk. Now, they hate it. So this is what happens. Some of them, when they drink their milk, will very dramatically plug their nose and drink the milk. I don't know where they got that from. I don't know where they saw that. But they'll do that. Guys, that's not socially acceptable. Just drink the milk. Some of the boys will chug it so much, it'll start to drip off the side because they're trying to get it down so quickly. Some of them will see their brother drink their glass of milk, and their brother's glass of milk will be empty, and they will switch. Yeah, sin, deceit. Got that from their mom. And what will happen is they will then, that's what they will actually do. Now, I can sit here and tell them, The milk is good for you. It's got the nutrition, whatever. It tastes awful. I don't want to do it, but I understand. Same thing here. Listen, I could sit here and try to rosy up Christianity for you. I could could cut the message down to 15, 20 minutes, throwing a whole lot of fun. We we could change this word. We could do this. We could do that. Guys, it's, it's my job to equip you. And to equip you means to sometimes look at you and say, you guys, you got to drink your milk. And once you learn how to drink your milk, according to the Bible, now get off the bottle and start going to solid food. That there's a depth to this, and I want you to want more. I don't want us to be content with a few inches of warm water on top. I want you guys to deeply, passionately love Jesus Christ and go out there and live radically for him. And this may be the only Sunday you come to this church then I just want to take this moment and say, I want you guys to want more just like I want more. And so therefore, guys, pray for me as I pray for you. Because what happens, there's a lot of churches, Harvest Fellowship included, people show up and just fill a seat. They're just warming the seat up. A lot of churches, Harvest Fellowship included, where Matthew 7 applies, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. We can fool ourselves into thinking we're these deep, powerful Christians when really, how deep is our walk? Now, I'm not trying to kick you because you are here this morning. Wind and time change and all. I think that means that you desire something more. Now, some of you may be here because you have to. Your mom made you. Your spouse made you. Guilt. I don't know. You're here. But if you're here, God's word doesn't return void. And I want to just encourage you to look at verse 4 and say, Is the water in my life deep? Is it deep? Or am I content with this surface Christian where I look good, sound good, but I know, I know there's more and I'm missing out on it? What's it mean? What's what's a practical example of going deeper? Take a look at verse 15. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. How about acquiring knowledge and seeking knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How about if we would spend our lives saying, Lord, I want to know more about you. 
I want to know more about who you are, your nature, what you're doing, so I can go out there and live the life, represent the life, impact eternity. I want what you have, and I want to go out and I acquire this and seek this. If I do that, I'm prudent, verse 15. Prudent's not a word that we use very often. If you'd go to work tonight or tomorrow or school and somebody would do something very wise, very smart, I doubt you would look at them and say, well, that was very prudent of you. It's just not a word we use. Prudent, the best definition I've ever heard of prudent is the idea of wisdom in action. You take the wisdom, you take the action, you put it together, wisdom in action. It's very prudent. We'd probably say, like, that was really smart of you. But it's really being prudent. And it means acquiring knowledge, seeking knowledge. You're actually putting effort into this and saying, I want more. I want more, and I want more knowledge of who God is to go out there and live this life deeper and more passionately. Now, I don't know if you do. I hope you do. And that's what I want to encourage you with. But that's where we've got to start. Because from now on, with the rest of the message, we're going to take this and say, what's some practical examples of this? The practical examples really don't mean anything unless you've got the foundation of Christ Jesus. Because I can give you these practical examples. You can say, hey, that's a pretty good point. You may mark it. You may memorize it. You may try to put it into action. You'd be still going, still going straight to hell. What matters most at this point before we move on is understanding the foundation of your life has to be Christ. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And my sin, your sin, keeps us out of eternity with God and it sends me to hell by choices and decisions I have made. And I cannot do anything on my own to make those decisions right or proper. And it has to be through a perfect sacrifice to let me have entrance into the perfect place of heaven. And that's where Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid the price. And when I believe that and I understand that, I make that the foundation of my life. And if I really honestly believe that, that changes how I live, how I think, and how I act. Not just I think it's a good idea. Not just I think that's a fun thing. And hey, I should go to church more. It is, Lord, this is actually what I believe and I do. And it changes everything. But we have to believe that. And once you lay that foundation, now we can build off of that. And how do we build off of that? What does prudent look like? I'm going to give you two verses here, and I'm not exaggerating. This is not pastor talk to make you really perk up. I mean this. I believe these two verses are life-changing. If we would take these two verses and actually apply them to every conversation we ever have with people, I think it would be utterly life-changing. Proverbs 18, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Verse 17, the first one to plead his call seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. I believe these verses are life-changing. Let me tell you why. Verse 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. How often do we do this? I don't get all the facts. I don't get everything. And I already formed a conclusion and opinion. I've answered a matter before I heard it. According to that, verse 13, that's shameful and you're a fool. How often do we do that? We hear a bit of information about a situation or a person and we immediately form a conclusion. We jump to the end of it and say, I already know what I think. How absolutely foolish. Somebody at works makes one comment and that's all the thing I need to hear. I already know what I think. We don't have satellite at home. We don't really watch the news at home at all. So sometimes I go to these hospital visits and it may be a surgery of four or five hours and they'll have Fox News on in the background or CNN on the background. 
And I'm just sitting there, and it's always in the back, and I'm listening to it, and I realize, good golly, they just repeat the same thing every hour. Just jump into conclusions. They got it all figured out. And what happens is they just keep repeating the same thing, just trying to look smart, look intelligent. I realize this is the world we live in. Everybody wants to be able to get an opinion quickly and sound really intelligent where the Bible is actually saying, slow down and get all the facts first. I remember years ago uh, hearing uh, Jim teach a message and use the acronym THINK. You guys probably have heard this before too, and I've never forgot it. The acronym THINK. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? That's such a kindergarten lesson. But what would happen if we would actually apply that as adults? That everything I say, I'm going to make sure it's true. Not speculation, not gossip. It's true. H, is it helpful? Is it really going to help the situation? Is it edifying? I, is it inspiring? Is it going to be something that takes people deeper in the Lord? And is it necessary? Do I need to say it? And K, is it kind? It really is just that simple. And so what happens is, verse 13, I form a conclusion without knowing all the facts. The Bible says it's shameful and I'm a fool. Then take a look here at verse 17. The first one to plead his call seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Be careful of just hearing the facts from one person and already deciding everything. There are literally two sides to every story. Now, at this point, verse 17, we start saying, well, I've known this person all my life and I know they'll never lie to me. That may be true. But pretty sure that person you're talking about has a sin nature just like everybody else. And I'm pretty sure that person you're talking about probably sometimes gets up emotionally. And what happens is we have these people that we just automatically accept what they say. And sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to say, hey, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. It sounds like we really need to pray. But before we jump to any conclusions, let's, let's just get all make sure we got all the facts here. You realize how hard that is to do? Because what I've noticed is this. People want me to agree with them. They call me up. And to be quite honest, they use the disguise of truth. And they really just want a referee. Hey, just agree with me that that other person's wrong. I, I, I can't do that. I don't know. I mean, from what you're telling me, but I, I really don't know. Okay, can you be angry with me at them? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Listen, I could be your temporary best friend by agreeing with you. And you will absolutely love me. You will think I'm the greatest person in the world. Because I will go to your little rage island and get upset with you. And we could spend the next 20 minutes talking about this person I don't even really know. And we could talk about how wrong they are and how awful they are. And you will absolutely love me for a little bit. But what has happened is this. I have feared you more than I feared God. And I became a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser. And I can't do that. I need to fear God more than I fear you. And I need to choose to please God more than I choose to please you. I could be, once again, your temporary best friend by agreeing with everything and all your anger and frustration and emotion. And it won't do any good. Because these verses are telling me right here that if I answer a matter before I hear it, I'm a fool and it's shameful. And this verse is telling me in verse 17 that if I just take the first things I hear without knowing all the facts... I'm wrong. What does this look like practically? I'll give you an example from many, many years ago. I was a young pastor. It was probably about 20 years ago. Still learning the ropes. And I got a phone call from a guy. And so what happened, this is before cell phones, before texting called me. And he said, hey, you got to pray for us. I said, what's going on? He goes, I don't know what happened. 
because I was sitting at home, sitting in my chair reading my Bible, and all of a sudden the cops showed up at my door and arrested me. My wife called the cops on me. said, you were sitting at home? I was just sitting at home in my chair reading my Bible, and the cops showed up at the door, came in, put handcuffs on me, arrested me, and took me out. He goes, I have no idea what was going on. I have no idea what she did. It, it makes no sense in any way whatsoever. I said, that's strange. I don't know why she did I don't know either. So we talked about it for a while. So then talked to her. And it's like, why would you just call the cop? She goes, what did he say? He said he was at home, sitting in his chair, reading his Bible. All of a sudden, the cops called up because you called him and arrested him. She goes, did he tell you that he was also drunk in the chair, being angry, throwing things? And yeah, he had his Bible out, screaming Bible verses at me. And I realized at this point, this is Proverbs 13, 17. There are two sides to what's going on here. In his mind, he was just simply sitting in his chair, reading God's word. And in her mind, he is the drunk, belligerent, angry, violent, threatening, throwing things. I tell you guys, it's amazing what we can perceive from our own perspective. I have learned with Dawn over 22 years of marriage, and I'm saying we got this figured out yet, that I got to be careful if I come home to her and express any type of frustration with something. Because I've already spent all day getting frustrated about it, and I've already come to the conclusion how right I am. And I'm brilliant and handsome and just everything. I just got it all figured out. I come home and I share with Dawn, expecting her to agree with my brilliant, handsome idea. And Dawn then happens to have the audacity to bring up a different perspective. How dare you disagree with me? Have you not read Genesis 2? You are my rib. You are just supposed to agree with everything I say, helpmate, and let's move on here. She never read that chapter. So the point is, I'm upset because she didn't agree with me. She didn't get angry with me because maybe she said this person thought this or that. And what happens is I'm really not looking for truth at that point. I just want somebody to be on my side. I'm telling you right now, when you get worked up and you get angry and you start forming conclusions and opinions before you know stuff, that's being foolish. That's being shameful. If you just take the first thing you hear and just go with it and run with it, the Bible says you're wrong you got to be careful when it comes to these situations that you stop and say, I want to handle this thing biblically. And the biblical thing is this, and you may be my best friend, you may be my spouse, you may be my brother, my sister, you may be something. And my flesh wants just to agree with you to have peace. My flesh wants to get angry with you just to have peace. But at this point, i got to fear God more than I fear you. i got to please God more than I please you. And i got to stick to the scriptures. And that means our relationship may hurt for a while. Because I can't jump down to this level. And that's okay. Because I need things to be different and I want to be prudent. What happens when we just jump right into it? Look at Proverbs 18, verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. There's a lot of verses in there about fools and mouths and lips. Our words will get us into trouble. Always, always pray before you speak. Lord, give me the words to say, how to say it, when to say it, and even if to say it at all. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Does it need to be said? Because if not, I'm being a fool. 
And I want deeper things in my life. I want to be prudent. I want wisdom and action. Lord, I really, what it comes down to is I want to fear you. Why is it so hard to do that? Because take a look at verse 8 that we've covered before. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles. And they go down into the inmost body. Some translations are like tasty morsels. Because it feels good to jump into that gossip sometimes. It feels good to jump into that. There, there is a fleshly response to anger sometimes that actually feels good for a moment. The problem is with that anger, you've got to keep fueling that fire. So you've got to keep rehashing it in your mind. You've got to keep talking about it. And you get off the phone with one person. Then you've got to text another person. Then you've got to call another. And you've got to keep reliving it to keep the anger going. It takes a lot of energy to walk in anger all the time. It really does. So what happens is this. We want those tasty little morsels, and the Bible says nothing good comes out of that. Forgive, move on, represent Jesus. Be careful with our words here. It comes back to the simplicity of fear God. Remember, one of the first teachings we did in our study in Proverbs was Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I need to fear God. I need to fear God in my words, fear God in my actions, fear God in my finances, fear God in all things. That's the beginning of knowledge. But to despise wisdom instruction makes me a fool. Now, most people believe that Solomon wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is this wonderful collection of wisdom and insight, and Ecclesiastes is a little bit of an autobiography of what happens when you go out and live in the flesh. I want you to see how Ecclesiastes ends. Go with me to Ecclesiastes. Just one book to the right, please. Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12. Take a look here how Solomon ends basically 12 chapters of a little bit of woe is me, what's the point of living... You know, what does God want? He finishes up finally like this. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. What a great ending. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Folks, fear God. Fear God in what you say. And what you do, what you spend, how you live, what you watch, what you listen to, fear God. And when you get that, you'll start to understand wisdom, knowledge, instruction. You'll keep yourself from all these foolish things. You'll be blessed by fearing God. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to know God and to fear God. You know, some of the verses I've been working on in in, in memorization, it goes and says, the Lord has no joy in the strength of a man, the strength of a horse, and none of that. Because what God has joy and delight in is when a man fears him. Boy, I tell you, if God has delight and me fearing him, if that makes God happy, then Lord, I want to fear you deeper and more and more and more. Because he's God, I'm not. So I want to take what I read here this morning, and I want to go out and live it. Not just talk about it, not just a few inches of the water being warm, but Lord, the whole thing, the depth of my life being for you. And let's go out there and live radically for him and always say and do. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song.
Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, it's one thing to talk about this. Lord, we really want this, Lord. We want a depth in our marriage. We want a depth in our lives, a depth in our witness. Lord, get us past this shallow experience with you to love you deeply and passionately. Lord, I just think of what it says in Ecclesiastes, every secret thing. If there's something we know in our lives that is wrong, right now through conviction, Lord, help us to take it to you in forgiveness. Lord, if there's something here that we're hiding and we've hidden from everybody else, but you know, Lord, let that come to light so that way it may be taken care of through your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to live radically for you, deep for you, watching what we say and do, and that we would fear you and want to go out there and passionately represent you to a dying world in all we say and do. Let you be the foundation of our lives. Lord, help us to fear God, not man, to please God, not man. And all we do and all we say, we say thank you in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen.